This is Annie Grace, and you're listening to this Naked Mind podcast, where without judgment, pain, or rules, we explore the role of alcohol in our lives and culture. Hi, and welcome to this Naked Mind podcast. I am so excited because one of the amazing things that can happen um, with this naked mind in the process is that sometimes you have somebody who reads the material, goes through the stuff, and just takes it on in such a degree that they want to go forward and just spread it into the world. And so I have one of those amazing people here with me today. Um, welcome, Debbie. Thank you for being here. Oh, thank you so much for having me here. I was so excited when uh, I got the reply back that you wanted to do the podcast instead of me write out my story. So this was awesome. Oh yeah, it's so great. So um, so Debbie, like I know a little bit about you and your successful career and where you've gone and now what you're doing now, but I'd love for you to just sort of start at the beginning. Um, where were you at before, you know, when you, when you wanted to, to change things? Who are you? Uh, well, Actually, I had this relationship with alcohol. I was just calculating the math before we got on here for 41 years. Wow. Because I started <laughs> I started drinking when I was 18. And I decided that it was no longer fun in my life when I was uh, 59. So <laughs> that's kind of that's kind of my journey when I first started it. It was you know, at 18, it was fun. It was a way that we uh, unwound. We did things. And when I was 18, it was legal. So, um, and I was kind of thinking about my actually first experience with alcohol. And it was um, a uh, quite interesting experience where I was in high school and we had just finished this test that we had to take for high school to graduate. And then this test we had to do. So we all went to this area that uh, as kids, we called it the mermaid because you would go there because it was on a lake. It was an empty lot on the lake. And on the sea, on the wall, it's really not called seawall because it's a lake. But anyway, the wall there they had, it had an imprint in it of a mermaid. And so we used to go there and hide because the parents couldn't see you because it was bushes and whatever and whatever. So we went there after the test because we got out of school early and we all got drunk. And then I personally had to go back to band because I was a majorette. So we had to go back, and three of us did it. Where three of the majorettes did it, and we had to go back to band class, band and practice, and try to do our show and practice and whatever in our inebriated condition. It was quite, it was quite hilarious. We actually got caught, got in trouble, and it was turned out to be like a bit, you know. But what I remember about it, and I guess why it was still okay for me to continue with this alcohol experience, and that one was fun for me, was because. My dad's comment was, I'm not really mad that you drank. I'm just mad that you were dumb enough to go back to school and get caught. Ooh. So, yeah. <laughs> it's kind of like, you know. So that was my first journey with alcohol and how it all started when I was 18 years old. Wow. And then so you said 59 was when you finally said it was causing you pain. So what, what did life kind of look like at 59 when you were feeling feeling the pain? <laughs> well, um. I am actually, for those that I guess that don't, I'm a flight attendant. And so for me, the alcohol was my way of, I was, it was my way of being social because uh, I was a very shy person. So it helped me when I drank to be more outgoing. So I was more outgoing. And then when I once, once I became a flight attendant, um, 
contrary to what people might think about it being in the, and it's, it's fun, it's fun, but yet it's also lonely. It's a very lonely job because you will have such an odd and different schedule from everybody else in the world. And so gradually over time, I started, I've been a flight attendant since 1999. It became just more and more in my life. And I would wake myself up like at three, like kind of very similar to your story, three o'clock in the morning, I'd wake up and I would have this like, oh my God, I can't believe I did it again. I can't believe I said I was going to have two glasses of wine and I have five and, and whatever. And so for me, the big, big wake up call were two things. One, when my child got married, uh, my daughter, I was so drunk, I don't remember it. Oh, no. And so that was huge and very traumatic for me that, you know, that like my children and they all talk about like, well, you, nobody ever really thought I had a, pro a problem where they thought I needed to go to AA or anything or go get help. So for them, it was like, no, mom, you were just like a person having fun. But I knew. Right. And so, so outwardly, like it wasn't like you ruined the wedding or you weren't like falling over or nothing like that. But you just personally didn't remember it. So everybody's like, no, it was great. It was fun. But you just didn't remember. Exactly. I mean, it did, and I know I must have, they knew that I had drank because I heard the next morning, because it was a destination wedding, so I heard, oh, here comes the mom to walk a shame kind of thing, you know, because yeah. like, I felt horrible, but we had a worse hangover, but, so that was kind of the start, and that was, but that was actually seven years before I got to the point where I was just like, this isn't, this is, um, you know, this is enough, then when I really got to that point was when I drank all by myself, a large, in three days, one of the larger, I don't even know the size, but of Jameson in three days. And that's when I said, okay, I have got to do something. Yeah. Because yeah. If, where am I going to be five years from now if I keep on this same accelerated amount of drinking that I'm doing? Right, right, for sure. And I think that's what's so interesting is like we start to feel like something's off you know, inside years and years before we start to actually question it. And then by the way, if you start to question it and you're only presented with these options that involve, you know, these huge lifestyle changes or, you know, options that don't feel right or true to you, then you just keep putting off questioning it. And then it can be more years and years and years. So yeah, that's so interesting. <laughs> well, yeah, for me, because like when the first event happened, like at my daughter's house or my daughter's wedding, I didn't really, like, I was not, I didn't feel like, okay, well, I'm not an alcoholic because I can go to work, I can function, I'm totally high functioning, and I've never missed work because of it, and I'm not like the, that person, you know, where I'm on the street, or I need to go to a meeting and stand up all the time and say, you know, I have zero control, because I honestly, so I didn't felt like I fit the picture, right? like you talked a lot about in your book and stuff, it's like, I didn't feel like I fit the picture, so I guess, okay, I just must be normal, and I just have to keep living like this, and so then you don't really, and you just kind of ignore it till three in the morning when you're awake again, and you're like, oh my God, why do I keep doing this kind of thing? It's amazing. It's amazing this thing we've done as a society, that we've created this picture, or this definition, or this label, or this person, and then we just, that's, it's, it's that like nothing else is black and white like that. Nothing else is this all or nothing thing, right? Like there's, there's stages of everything else. And obviously there's stages of, of drinking, but we don't look at it that way. And I know that kept me very stuck thinking, well, I'm not that person. So I guess, I guess 
I don't need that help. I guess I'll just keep going on. So it wasn't as if I didn't want to change or want help, but everything was telling me, well, you're not that person. So there's nothing else. Like it's, it's just bizarre that way. <laughs> exactly. Yes, it is. I mean, it's very, and I think that's a part of what happens with a lot of people. Yeah. I think that people, and that's why I actually love what you're doing and other and have being able to find other people that are doing exactly what you're doing too is is we're starting to like question this like wait a second do i have to be in the gutter before i decide well all right this is no longer working in my life i want to do something different right. how can i start to do something different yeah absolutely okay so then um what 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 happened what did you do <laughs> Well, actually, I was actually working with a body image coach, and I'm also, I teach law of attraction. Great. So I know how my thoughts and my words matter in my life, and I started doing that about seven years ago. So I knew that my thinking about it and the way I was thinking about myself around it wasn't helping, but I also knew on that side that I couldn't go to an AA meeting and stand up and say, I am powerless or I have a problem. Not for me. It wasn't going to work for me that way because I didn't believe that. I I didn't want to stand up and say I have no control because that's not how I felt. And I knew that if I kept saying that, I would also put that out as far as I was concerned in other areas of my life. If I continually say I'm not in control and I am powerless, I will find myself because our words are what really matter to our mind. I would be powerless in other areas of my life. So I started with the body image coach. She started teaching me how to listen to my body and to view my body as like a person. So as I was doing that, I started thinking, okay, well, let me take the law of attraction and think about what do I actually want? And I'm listening to my body. And clearly by the physical sign, she's telling me this is no longer working in your life. So then I put together my own kind of a desire statement of how I wanted my life to be and I and I also did exactly what you talked about in your book I was doing it with like okay but wait is this doing what I think alcohol is doing for me Mm. and the answer was always no I didn't really have the science side to it that's why when I found your book I was I was in heaven I was like oh my god that's why it worked but anyway so then I was like all of a sudden just random I guess it probably took I don't even know because I didn't write down the date I started but I would say six to nine months and I just like, okay, I am done with that. This is no longer something that's going to be in my life. I'm done. And I haven't been deprived. I haven't felt like I'm missing out on life because I'm not doing it. Because I don't want it. I don't miss it. It's not. I'm not craving it. Right. And I thought that was so weird. But, yeah, when I found your book and read it, I was like, no, it's not weird. That's how the brain's working. Like, Yeah, yeah. yeah no. exactly. So you're like the perfect, perfect uh, example of spontaneous sobriety. So I didn't even know this was a thing. And then, obviously, I researched it and I wrote about it. But um, it is the most successful way of becoming sober is just having kind of an internal soul-searching, questioning you know, what, what is my body telling me? What is my life telling me? What do I want? And just like, I love this idea of listening to your body because honestly, I mean, all the wisdom is really there and we think, okay, our bodies are just a tool to be beat up, but actually 
sitting back and saying, okay, like I feel anxiety in my body. I feel excitement in my body. I feel hunger in my body. I feel hungover in my body. The body can tell you so many incredible things. And then you can use your mind to kind of discern, you know, it's, it's just this beautiful relationship, really, how we are created. I love that. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah. So, so um, yeah, I mean, so really to this day, I have not missed it at all. That's awesome. That's so cool. Or felt deprived. And it's actually been a year. It actually was actually October. Awesome. It was actually October last year. That's so cool. <laughs> That's so cool. So then you've gone on to like start this whole little business. So tell, tell about that. I love it. <laughs> okay. Well, so then what I decided, because for the, like, the past seven years or so, I've been learning how to blog and use YouTube and Hangouts and the different social media aspects. And at one point, I was even teaching life coaches. That's how I met the person I was working with. I was teaching them how to use Google Hangouts to make their own um, programs, like to record the Hangout and then make their own training programs from also the coaching that they were doing. So they could kind of make money from not just being coaching one-on-one, but also on the, you know, doing videos and stuff. And so I decided, well, I have these skills, and I know I can't be the only person out there that feels like, there's there's something wrong it's not right but yet I don't feel like I classify as this person I need to stand up and you know the like like the person in the gutter like I guess because of the way society has us so programmed that it's either you can drink normal or you are an alcoholic like mm-hmm. and I don't you know that's just like the programming that you have and so I wanted to be part of the voice and the movement of changing that with people so that somebody does not have to go like 20 some odd years I was questioning this how I was drinking and I guess there's nothing wrong with me because uh it's it's not written anywhere that this is this is can also be what it looks like you know that so anyway so I started a site called flying through life sober and um I have some videos and I've shared my story on it it's actually been it's kind of interesting because I also learned and I learned about this actually from an interview that you did with a do- with one of the a doctor, and I can't remember. It was a vid- little video you did where he talks about because you've been using the alcohol for so long to in your brain that it takes about six months or so when you stop to get off of that severe emotional co- roller coaster because of the endorphins and the dopamine and all that kind of stuff working. So even though I started it three months maybe into my journey of not of no longer drinking it's been a slower process because of my I have had a lot of self-doubt in what I've been doing and then my emotions so I've been doing some emotion code kind of work like releasing trapped emotions on myself and stuff and so I've been going through all of that so it's a slower process but now it's I'm back to working on it and spreading the word and I'm actually interested when I got your email I was like, about your podcast I was like oh my god because I'm actually launching mine on November 7th oh great so, how exciting so, so anyway so I have that going in the back you know doing a podcast and and I just it it I just feel like kind of like what you do because I heard a couple of your episodes already and it's kind of like I want to be part of the movement to help people know there is a different way out there. Right, right. No, that's so beautiful. Yeah. I love it. That's so, so cool. So what would you... <laughs> so that's what I... That's so awesome. What would you say to, to your former self, the one that was questioning and wondering and about kind of what life is like on this side of the fence? 
Um, actually, it's not. Life on this side of the fence is actually a lot more fun. And you actually learn about yourself, and you've got this, and you can do this. And you don't alcohol. And then the reality is alcohol is not your friend. She, she, I just use the she, but anyway, she's, you know, that relationship that you have with alcohol, you can change it. And you can actually eliminate that relationship from your life. And it will actually be a lot more fun. Yeah. Yeah. It's so, <laughs> so cool. Like, I love that. Yeah. But I, and I also, I would like to also say that all of the things that you've heard about it being challenging and difficult and too hard to do when you go about it in the right method, it's very easy to do. Yeah. Yeah. It certainly is. It's definitely one of the easier things that I've done, which is amazing and surprising. But I think that, you know, once you really change your thinking and get in touch with yourself and just make this kind of burn the boats type of decision, then because one of the most painful things is that every single decision we make costs us energy and costs brain power. And so when you are trying to make lots of decisions about drinking, like how much, when am I going to do it? Am I not going to do it for how long? And, and letting that decision-making process, it becomes all you think about. Like I was actually um, talking to someone who's really having a hard time quitting and, and she um, basically, she's like, I can't believe how much I think about drinking. Like I think about doing it all the time. But if you've, if you've just not made it an option, like it is just not an option and you've just kind of like cut, you know, made this decision, like this is what I want for my life and that's not negotiable. And, and for me, it isn't like I want sobriety for my life and that's not negotiable. It's more that I want these certain things in my life. Like similar to you, I had a very traumatic wake up where we moved houses and moving houses is supposed to be quite exciting. And it was two different things. One was moving houses and one was my son's birthday party. And, and I didn't remember them. And again, I wasn't drunk like to everybody. Like people weren't like, oh gosh, she was wasted. Like it wasn't like that. But it was very much that I look back at those times and I'm like, wow, I missed that. You know, like that memory is stolen from me. Maybe I was having fun, but how do I even know? Because I don't remember it. And so for me, those things, like I want to remember my life and be present that is my non-negotiable. That's my burn the bridges decision. You know, it isn't, I'm, um, you know, clinging on to something for the sake of it. If not drinking is a tool for me to have the best life that I want to live, then that's a tool I'm going to use. But there's other tools too that I'm using, you know, exercising is a tool, trying to eat better is a tool. Like there's all sorts of tools and it's interesting too, I guess, and I'm kind of on a tangent here, but when you, when you are, um, drinking, at least in my experience, and you use that as your only tool to deal with and numb your emotions, you rely on it and you forget about all your other tools. I remember so many times where I used to go for a run to deal with stress at work. And then once I started realizing how much, you know, numbing power there could be in a bottle of a wine, um, it was so much easier to, to pour a glass than it was to put on my shoes. Right. And so little yeah. by little, that becomes a really unstable foundation because you, you are relying on it more than anything else. And, um, and it's not a reliable partner. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. It's totally unreliable. I mean, it, it's reliable for, for making you numb out. And I sometimes feel badly about it, but I can't go back and beat myself up about it. Right. 
and you just you have to just you know move forward as present as you can and and still to this you know my kids to this day still never they never felt like that mom needed and had a problem like to them it was like they were anybody that I told no I just no longer drink they're like oh, okay uh why because um, it's no longer fun in my life I mean that that was my answer yeah I mean it was you know because it wasn't it really was no longer fun in my life and it hadn't been fun for a very long time right but it was just that and that answer is and also that's another thing that people should know is after the first couple of times that you tell people that know that you drank in the past and you've just kind of decided this is not what I'm doing, and then they're over it. They're like, oh, okay, they have, they have a shock for the first couple of times, and then that's it. They're over it. It's not nearly as traumatic as you think it's going to be. Yeah. <laughs> like nobody so even true. actually notices. You know? Right. It just becomes the norm. <laughs> it just becomes totally typical, and it's what's normal. And it's it's totally yeah it becomes absolutely fine I mean it's really a cool thing like I think there's a lot of power in the words I don't drink and to be honest when I was a drinker I had this secret admiration for people who didn't drink like my dad didn't drink and I just was like wow like that that's pretty badass like I just thought it was really cool right and but I also felt like that's never going to be me I felt really helpless against it you know because I didn't have all the knowledge that we have now and um and so but now, you know, being able to say that, like, I certainly don't wear it as um, something I'm ashamed of. Like, I'm, I'm really proud of that fact. Like, I think that's amazing. So, yeah, so I'm really proud of that fact. Like, I don't, I don't wear it as something that I'm ashamed of at all. In fact, it's something that I'm, I'm probably one of the most proud of, you know, because I feel not that it's something that I don't want to do, but it's, it's a lifestyle that I really want. And it's a, a choice that I'm, I'm really, really excited to have made. Um, and I love just your energy and enthusiasm and smile. And it's just been such a pleasure, Debbie, to have you here. So what would you, what would you tell listeners? What would you tell people about, um, you know, who are just kind of wondering about their own relationship with alcohol? Well, I would say that once you get to the point where you're actually hearing that voice in your head, am I drinking too much? On what I've actually learned about listening to my body and your thoughts, the answer to that question is yes, you are drinking too much for you. Yeah. And so then you need to, you know, either get Annie's book or find some of the videos I've done or there's other people, you know, allow them to be your tribe and allow them to be your support and listen to what they have to say and be and it's okay this is no longer you know if you're questioning it then yes for the answer for you is yes yeah and, and there say, are avenues for help I'd say don't be afraid of that question I think one right. of the things that I regret most is I had so much fear around that question that I didn't even let it sort of consciously surface besides that middle of the night time where I'd beat myself up for years and you know, it's not, it doesn't have to be a scary question. I mean, I, I love to see a society someday where we can ask, am I drinking too much as easily as we can ask, am I drinking too much diet soda, you know, or am I eating too many uh, um, carbohydrates or whatever it is that it, it, it isn't, yes. it shouldn't be fearful. Are you putting something in your body that's not healthy for it and that has consequences? Like that should be a question you're willing and wanting to ask and, and, and ask that question without any expectation of the outcome. Because I think when you ask that question with the, oh, if I ask this question, then I'm going to have to stop forever, or then I'm going to have to dedicate myself to sobriety, or then I'm going to have to declare myself an alcoholic. Like don't, don't ask that question with an answer in your head. 
Just say, okay, I'm going to ask that question and I'm going to be okay with where it leads me because I promise it's going to lead you somewhere better than when you are now. And you can just ask it really without fear and just say, okay, I'm going to start to start to look. And I'd say what I'd say to do first almost would be to become as mindful as possible of your current drinking. So don't make yourself make any changes. Don't look at this question as, I'm going to ask this question. That means I have to change tomorrow. Like once I admit that I might be drinking too much, I immediately have to start depriving myself and using willpower and, and white knuckle it and stop. Like that's, that's not going to be productive at all. In fact, all that's going to do is prevent you from being, having an honest conversation with yourself. So just say, okay, I'm wondering, that's cool. Good for me because you can never fix anything that you don't start questioning and then just start to look at it. Say, okay, tonight when I drink, I want to understand how I feel right before I drink. I want to understand how I feel after the first drink. I want to take a minute and check in with myself, see how my body feels, see how my mind feels after the second drink. And then I might want to write those observations down or pull out my voice memo on my phone and, and leave a memo for myself or the notes app on my phone. I just, I want to become mindful of this without any expectation just start to think about it. And it's incredible how that conversation is so much less scary and so much more powerful and where that leads you naturally, easily, effortlessly um, can be to really cool places. So Debbie, why don't you, why don't you tell everybody where they can find you? Okay. You guys can, can find me at um, flyingthroughlifesober.com. And that is my website. And then the upcoming podcast, it's actually called Sober Curious. Awesome. And it's specifically to be a resource for, and I still stuck with the word sober because that's still what we look for right now. That's still, you know, so I stuck with it, but it's for if you're curious and you're questioning it. And I agree with you that if you have the question, then just start listening to your body and observing the answer. Just like you said, don't decide, oh my God, I have to stop now. Because my answer right. is yes. No, just kind of analyze it in your life and start asking yourself. Like, I like to refer to it as putting your own oxygen mask on first. Like, yeah. is okay, so what do I want? Is this giving me what I want? And the answer, if the answer is no, then what can I do to give me what I want? But I, what I also love, too, is the, what you have going on, the experiment. And I liked how you called it the experiment. Because that's just just experiment. And experiment and, and be like Dr. Watson and Sherlock Holmes in your life. Yep. And just start doing that. And it, like, like Annie said, it'll come to you naturally what to do next. Yeah, that's beautiful. Um, I love that. I, that's a great title, Sober Curious. That's great. <laughs> and um, the experiment Debbie's talking about can be found at alcoholexperiment.com. And it's just 30 days. You go through a whole mindset shift, but a 30-day just experiment, see how it goes. So thank you so much, Debbie, for being here. It's been absolutely wonderful. Oh, shoot, Debbie, I think we're losing you. But uh, yeah, we lost Debbie. But okay, we got her back on her phone. <laughs> no video. <laughs> um, thank you, Debbie. So Debbie, you've had storm damage from the hurricane. And it's been crazy with the internet. But thank you for thank you for calling me back on your phone. So we could we could just say goodbye, at least. <laughs> <laughs> yes, thank you. Thanks for your patience with this whole adventure. Hey, but you know what? I guess that's really part of what life is, right? It's yeah. an adventure and figuring it out. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. It's been such a pleasure to have you on. And um, and again, you know, flyingthroughlifesober.com. We talked about that. So check that out. And then if you are 
Curious to be the investigator in your own life? Try out my new project at alcoholexperiment.com. And um, yeah, and thanks again, Debbie. It's been great. So have a wonderful day. All right. Thank you. This has been Annie Grace with This Naked Mind Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. You can learn more at thisnakedmind.com. And please remember to rate, review, and subscribe as it really helps us spread the word. Thank you.